Welcome back to Politically Speaking, Holyrood Magazine's weekly podcast, where you'll get the real rundown of what's going on in Scottish politics. We have the interviews, the gossip, and sometimes the laughs. So please join us. And remember, when anyone tells you they're not interested in politics, you tell them you know a podcast that can help them out with that. And you can also rate or review us on Apple Podcasts. So enjoy. This election has been dubbed the most historic in Scotland's history of devolution. But really, has it? Is it? Will it be? It's certainly been a different kind of campaign, with little face-to-face campaigning, television debates sounding like Groundhog Day, and so many voters opting to cast their vote by post. And despite a whole catalogue of failings on the domestic policy front, it has been the pandemic and how that has been handled that has been the one thing that has dominated debate. Indeed, Nicola Sturgeon's campaign line is serious leader for serious times. But unlike other elections, there are things that seem so probable that you'd be lucky to get bookies to take your money. The SNP is the largest party, for instance, Nicola Sturgeon back in Butte House as First Minister, and the constitutional question still figuring large. Poll after poll after poll predicts, if not an outright majority for the SNP, then at least almost there and propped up by the Greens and possibly some Alpa MSPs as well. Certainly a pro-independence block of MSPs is a shoe-in, which inevitably brings us back to the independence question and whether to hold a second referendum and when. A slew of polls this week may have that SNP majority on a knife edge, but after 14 years in government and in a parliament designed not to return majority parties, that level of support remains extraordinary. However, Support for independence is slipping and even Nicola Sturgeon's gilt-edged popularity is seeing some of that shine come off. But the inevitability of the election result is all a bit predictable. Regardless, this election, say some commentators, is the decisive one, the one that will decide Scotland's future, in or out of the Union. But London-based broadcasters, currently camped outside the Scottish Parliament, are perhaps more excited by this election than those of us who have lived through so many elections that have all been dominated by the big constitutional question. It's the undercurrent that is at any ballot. So as voters go to the polls today, and with so many postal votes already cast, the Holyrood editorial team has come together to chat about how we see things, and maybe we'll throw in the odd prediction at the end. Jenny, last night was the last debate of uh, this election campaign. How did you feel it changed anything? I don't think it really did. I mean, it's it's partly, obviously, we're at the stage of the campaign where we've already heard the party's policies, they've already released their manifestos, we've had three debates, and obviously the same issues are coming up again and again and again. So, you know, we've, we've already rehearsed and we, we know what they're going to answer more or less before they answer. Um. But I think also it wasn't a particularly dramatic debate. I mean, it was very polite. There wasn't a lot of arguing or or interaction. You know, they were asked questions and they answered them. And to some extent, that meant it it kept more variety in terms of the subject matter. It kept a topic. It didn't just become about independence. There were other issues, tax, social care, travel after the pandemic, things like that. So you, you got a bit more of a, a wide variety of issues discussed but at the same time it perhaps felt a little bit bland and I suspect that you know it's not going to change anyone's minds even even undecided voters you know at this point that that's not going to be the thing that, that sways them one way or the other but 
you know, interesting. Does anyone else have a, a different viewpoint, or would you think? No, I mean, I, I agree, uh, Jenny. I I thought the uh, debate last night was 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 pretty underwhelming. Um, and and if I'm being honest, I I think the the whole campaign has been quite underwhelming. Um, and I'm not sure if that's because we sort of know what the result's going to be, or because of the pandemic, meaning that. Um, you know, we've not been able to, to get out as journalists in the, in the way that we would in previous elections. But um, I just I just thought the, the, the debate was a, was a little bit too polite. I mean, uh, you know, they were sort of told not to not to speak over each other, which is which is understandable in a, in a TV debate. But um, th there wasn't really enough um, kind of cut and thrust for me. It was uh, it was a bit underwhelming. What do you think, Andrew? Did you feel the same? Uh, I mean, I'm not, not, I quite enjoyed it, if I'm being honest. I thought it was one of the best debates. Uh, it was interesting at the beginning when they sort of started talking about policy a bit more and about recovery. And, you know, you could see that there's, you know, there's more consensus there on, on, on things like, you know, going abroad on, on a holiday this summer and all that sort of stuff, which was good. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of, there, there was the clash over independence. And sure, sure, we, we have had these arguments before, but... I think it sort of teased out a few more things and, and perhaps uh, more pertinently, it, it, it possibly sort of set the scene for what comes after Thursday's election. So the debate on the constitution, the debate on the currency, the debate on the central bank and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I, um, I, I'm not as, I'm not as, as gloomy as, as uh, other colleagues are about this election. It's been a weird one, but I think it, you know, I think it's just an extraordinary election, though, when we're going into it, actually, with only one person vying to be First Minister of Scotland. And, and the rest is all about who's going to be second, who's going to be propping up a potentially uh, a minority government. Um, and also, it's all about whether or not the SNP get that majority to almost assume that a second referendum has to happen. Louise, what, what are you thinking about it? Um, I mean, I feel like we're in a, a similar situation as to we were to where we were in 2016. You know, we still knew then that the SNP was going to have the going to win the election. Again, we were talking about whether it would be a majority or minority. Um, so I'm not. I don't think it's just that um, that, as you say, it's the fact that there's only really one candidate for first minister. I think it's just you know the fact that we've been through a year of pandemic. And that's kind of still the role is to discuss at the moment. Um, you know, it's the thing that's most on people's minds. Um, you know, we still have obviously things like the independence and economy ticking on in the background. But, you know, the biggest thing that we've all been talking about for the last year has been the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I, I kind of feel Nicola Sturgeon's um, campaign line at the moment about you need a serious leader for serious times is is true but slightly unfair on others because obviously she's been in the job for seven years anyway and um, other people need to get experience but it doesn't mean that they're not going to be any less serious in the role. I thought it was interesting that, that the SNP used um, the image of the um, the platform from the coronavirus briefings as, as one of their kind of election images um, certainly on Twitter the other day I mean she's 
she's uh, kind of made the point over the last year or so doing these daily briefings that they're not political, they're, you know, they shouldn't be politicised. And then right before the election, they've decided to politicise it and politicise the image of, of the podium, um, which I think probably didn't, didn't go down um, very well with a lot of people. But, you know, it was interesting to me watching the TV debate that the others weren't even pretending that, you know, there was going to be a different outcome. Usually in an election, even no hopers pretend that they might have a chance of being first minister or, or being the party of government. But no one else is, is really pretending that. And, you know, even, even in a couple of the questions, um, you know, uh, Glenn Campbell sort of referred to stuff that might be happening after the election and sort of looked to Nicola Sturgeon, almost sort of assuming that she would be the ones making the one making the decision. And, um, you know, really right from the outset, this election has been about, you know, for me, anyway, the interesting story is, is who's going to be in second place and, and how strong a, a position um, is that opposition going to be in? Who is going to be in second place? I think that has to... I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, at this, at this point, it looks like the Tories, but I don't, I don't think the Tories have had a particularly great campaign. What about you, Jack? What, what did you think of last night and more generally the campaigns? Well, I think it's just it's quite interesting up on what Chris has mentioned that perhaps that battle for second place is going to be the one that maybe turns a few heads and gets people kind of focusing on what's going to happen um, you know Anna Sarwar um, having his kind of first election campaign as leader um, and he generally seems to have kind of had quite a positive response in terms of how he's viewed but I'm kind of looking forward to seeing you know how that actually transcends whether it you know kind of happens to be more votes and kind of propel Labour into second place. He's been one that's probably in the debates um, performed quite well, but then also occasionally been accused of sitting on the fence, you know, on constitutional matters. Um, so that's certainly been one of the things that has interested me in the debates is how the leaders have, you know, performed in that sense. Have we really seen, um, you know, a, a strong performance over the course of the debates from Douglas Ross? That might be one that's kind of, um, you know, more questionable. So it really, for me, it's that battle at second place. Um, and it also, you know, and the, the question of, is this a sort of presidential type issue, you know, where you're, you're seeing the leaders, you're seeing how they're performing. Is that going to be the main interest for people or is it just going to be a focus on policy matters? Yeah, Andrew, that's on the second place. There's an interesting debate to be had about whether it'll be Labour or the Tories. But on the green side, do you see um, Patrick Harvey as the next deputy first minister? <laughs> uh, well, maybe, maybe. I mean, this is so. Uh, after your introductory statement there, Mandy, I went on to the uh, the lad books. <laughs> what to see if I was telling the, the truth? Oh, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, just just to see, just out of interest, to see what the odds are. So, so no surprise that uh, the SNP are by some distance the favourite to, to, to pub the most seats after the election. If you put ten pounds in them, uh, you get five pence back. You know that's that's how crazy the odds are. Um, but in terms of a, a pro-independence majority, which is the SNP and the Greens and, and Alaba uh, having sixty-five or more seats, that's also pretty pretty good odds. That's one of sixteen just now. So I think if you put ten pounds on for that, you get uh, sixty-two pence back. So so I, I think we're we're very much looking at a pro-independence majority. Uh, coming back to us, um, whether or not uh, the Nicola Sturgeon needs the Greens to to help form a government uh, or, or to, to get her a majority without Alaba, um, 
not entirely clear. So we've had a number of polls this week. I think what four or five polls have come out this week. It's been a in terms of, of polling this election, I think more polls for, for this election than any other election we've uh, we've had in Scotland. Um, and you've had some that have predicted the SNP uh, quite comfortably winning majority uh, and others uh, suggesting uh, that they'll fall quite short. In fact, like two polls today, one saying they'll fall short by five seats, another one saying they'll, they'll have you know, uh, more than five seats of a majority, I think. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think the problem with the... Uh, the Greens being in any sort of form of coalition government is there are quite a few major differences in policy between uh, uh, the Greens and the SNP, uh, not least on what's going to happen in the North Sea, in the North Sea oil, and this this idea of a, a just transition. Um, so I, I I think it would be I don't know I, just, I don't know where the compromise would come from uh, for that coalition to happen. Can I just go back and think? If, for instance, um, the SNP do not do as well as they did in 2016, where they just fell short of a majority, how does anybody think that would reflect on Nicola Sturgeon's leadership? I mean, I, I think it's, 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 it's an interesting one. I mean, I feel like she, she benefited massively um, during the pandemic. I mean, I, I personally think some of her... Um, uh, some of the handing of the pandemic has, has, has been quite strong in Scotland. And I think although her her daily uh, briefings were, were controversial, I think I think they were they were good, particularly when people at the start of the pandemic were, were really worrying about about the virus. Um, and she was a, she was a very reassuring figure. Um, but but I think, um, you know, the, it's not necessarily a reflection of her, but um, the SNP's popularity has definitely been dented by um, the position we now find ourselves in vis-a-vis um, -vis the pandemic, and and that's largely because of the of the rollout um, of the of the vaccine. I mean, it's the it's the one thing that you could you can say that uh, the UK government has has you know definitely got right um, in the pandemic has been the vaccine rollout, and and that has uh, I think undoubtedly. Um, impacted uh, on the SNP and on Nicola Sturgeon. I don't necessarily think it's a, it's a reflection on her personally, though. It's interesting, isn't it, when you think of what was going on just before we went into the election campaign and there were all the inquiries, the parliamentary inquiries, the fallout from everything that had come on from what we'll loosely call the Salmond affair. Those were the things that people believed would affect the SNP more than anything else. I mean, Jenny, do you really think they have or do you think we just move on and we get into an election campaign and other issues become important? I think they haven't been the defining issues of the election campaign. I think they have possibly affected people's views of Nicola Sturgeon. I think they may have dented trust a little bit in some case. They've you know, planted the the seed of doubt about you know how honest and how straightforward the government's being but on the other hand as as chris mentioned i think her handling of the pandemic has really boosted her personal popularity and you can see it in a lot of opinion polls that even people who are actually politically opposed to her still actually approve of her leadership during the pandemic so so there's kind of pros and cons i think she's been dented a bit by the salmond affair but she's been boosted by her handling of the pandemic. But yeah, things that have been kind of neglected because of these two big issues laterally have come to the fore a bit more in the election cam the campaign, the, the actual issues of how well the SNP as a whole has been doing in government and how it's delivered on previous campaign 
manifesto promises and and you know failings on things like drugs deaths and things like education and I think that has maybe hit but also of course we're seeing a slight downturn in support for independence lastly the there's been a series of opinion polls now showing a a change and and a small majority now um against independence small majority in favor of the the union and that's obviously going to affect support for the SNP as well because if people have decided that actually either now is not the time for a referendum or or they actually are just no longer in favor of independence and as Chris mentioned the the vaccine rollout seems to have been a factor in that because we've seen actually a UK-wide um, vaccine rollout that's been really, really effective and people have maybe begun to question whether actually it is a good idea for Scotland to go alone, particularly when you've compared that with the, the way the EU vaccine rollout has gone. So obviously you would expect a little bit with a, a downturn in support for independence that the, there would also perhaps be a, a downturn in support for the SNP, although Nicola Sturgeon has been very careful to focus on the pandemic and say that that will be her focus in the forthcoming period and she's not trying to push a, an independence referendum right now until this is all over. I mean, Louise, that, it, it is an interesting thing, really, if you were to take the pandemic away from all of this and we were going into an election, it wouldn't be a great domestic record that Nicola Sturgeon would be going in defending. No, it wouldn't. I mean, you know, they've been in government for a long time at this point. And I think it's almost, you know, the same is true for any government, which you've been in power for so long. You do start to look a bit tired. Um, and, you know, there's no real hiding from your record either. Whereas, you know, if you've only been in government for a couple of years, you can say, well, actually, the government before us didn't do anything. So we're cleaning up their mess. But they, they don't have that this time round. I mean, it's interesting to think that, you know, if in some alternative reality where the pandemic wasn't happening, what would be the issues now? And, you know, education is obviously a big one. And as Jay said, drugs deaths as, as well. Um, but, you know, we'd, we'd still be talking about independence and a referendum. And, you know, it's whether that would, you know, at what point will that stop? <laughs> at what point will we stop talking about independence and a referendum? I mean, I suppose my view is we'll never stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's the thing. Every, everything's been uh, seen through the the prism of of um, the constitution and, and the independence debate. And um, Louise is right. I mean, the, the SNP they've they've got a pretty uh, pretty mixed report cards um, uh, of their fourteen years in government. And I think. You know, had this been another time, um, you know, it would be they would be maybe sitting in the uh, opposition for a while and trying to regroup and come up with some fresh ideas. But um, just just because of the strength of the um, debate on the constitution and, and that dominating everything else, um, it looks like they're gonna they're they're gonna be voted back in again. I mean, we talk about Anasawa before, and you know, he's been doing fairly well in personal polling, and he's been you know, pitched as the first minister for 2026 or whatever. But, you know, there's also that view that because he's not really willing to engage in the referendum chat this time around, you know, there's also that thing of, well, will he actually be first minister in 2026 if he's, if Labour still haven't come up with a response to that argument? I mean, actually, in some respects, I think this next five years will be a defining point for the, for the parliament because Anasarwa is new. 
Um, there's five years to make an impact. Um, Nicola Sturgeon has said that she wants a referendum in the latter part of this term or this session. But then you look at the polls and people are now saying, a majority are now saying, they don't want a referendum in the next five years. I mean, Andrew, do you think there's time for people to make a difference, for the constitutional question to be turned around? Yeah, I, 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 I think so. I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier on, you know, that, that while voters tell pollsters that the most important issues to them are the health service and the, the COVID recovery, the one attribute that matters the most when it comes to choosing which party to vote for is that party's position on the constitution. Um, it's one of those sort of slightly contradictory things about Scottish voters. So I, I, it's something I think isn't going to go away anytime soon. Uh, again, you also just have to kind of look at the, the demographics of it all. Uh, you know, the under 55s support for independence is, is pretty significant. You know, it's in the majority. Uh, so I think, you know, the, the, the idea that, that there's going to be any situation in which in which that group of people are, 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 are satisfied uh, unless there's an independence referendum or indeed independence is, is yeah, is, is, is unlikely. Um, I, again, it also kind of depends what happens down south. Because um, one of the other interesting things about this election campaign is that Nicola Sturgeon isn't really sort of pitching herself against Douglas Ross or Anna Sauer. She's pitching herself against Boris Johnson. So the relationship between Holyrood and Westminster and, and what happens down south, I think, you know, could uh, have a real impact on, on what voters want and what voters think or, or when voters would like to have that, that second independence referendum. Yeah, and on that, I was just going to say, I mean, obviously... Um... On the, we're talking about the Scottish elections, but there's the, the there's the Hartlepool by-election um, down in England, which will be really fascinating. I mean, it's it's really interesting to look at some of the polls, um, UK-wide polls, um, on on voter intention when you see some of the allegations that are being thrown at uh, Boris Johnson, and it, <laughs> it doesn't seem to be affecting the the Tories' uh, popularity um, at all at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? What do you have to do to actually lose the confidence of voters? Well, it's almost like the same situation in England as in, in Scotland, but but the opposite in terms of perhaps people don't see an, a viable opposition. Um, you know, the SNP has benefited, obviously, from this huge independence support that will will just continue to support them no matter what, for the sake of an independence referendum, will kind of overlook other failings. Um, to to hopefully get there eventually, um, and there there's that kind of sense in England I think as well of of people perhaps feeling like well they they aren't necessarily happy with everything about the government but they perhaps feel that's that's the only viable party to vote for. So you know we we have a, maybe a similar situation with with a, a lack of strong opposition in in both parts of the UK. Yeah. I mean, Jack, one of the less surprising elements of the campaign was perhaps Alex Salmond coming in with the new Alpa party. Um, doesn't seem to have had a huge cut through. Or do you, I mean, there's some suspicion that perhaps this is like um, the silent Tories not telling pollsters that they're going to support the Tories. Do you think he might end up with a couple of seats? It's, it's, it's a difficult question to answer um, because you've seen kind of you know mixed um, suggestions of, uh, on that matter from the polls. Um, I think it would certainly, um, you know, throw a bit of a spanner on the works if he did. Um, you know, kind of it suddenly means that that Salmon Sturgeon, you know, that whole the whole question 
um, that around that is not going to go away, and it and it makes things quite uncomfortable for Nicola Sturgeon. You know, in the course of the next Parliament, you know, with um, particularly Sam himself was elected. You know, it's a it's a it's just a constant reminder of you know everything that's happened over the last wee while in terms of the inquiry. Um, you know, and some of the the questions that she had to answer on that. So I certainly think that it'll be something that you know the SNP will be hoping doesn't happen, but it's really difficult to say, you know, whether it will. I don't know if it, you know, changes things on questions of, of independence if they get a few MSPs there. You know, I, I can't see the the so-called supermajority happening. Um so I think in terms of You'd imagine from the SNP's perspective, you know, they're looking for a um, a majority that they can get themselves, uh, and if not, then one that's you know backed up by the Greens. But you know, she's Sturgeon's kind of consistently ruled out working with with Alba, so um, or Alba, should I say? So it's it's an interesting one. It certainly makes things a bit you know livelier in that sense. Um, you know, it's something new in terms of the election campaign. But I don't know if I can just if I can see that many MSPs um, being elected from the party. Chris, do you think it's fair enough that Nicola Sturgeon has said that she won't work with Alex Salmond? I mean, they both want the same thing at the end of the day. I, I just wonder how that might go down with independent supporters. Well, I mean, I, I take your point about people uh, maybe not um, being entirely honest with pollsters, but I think one of the, one of the things that uh, has been quite clear from, from this election is just how far... Alex Salmon's political stock has fallen. I mean, we 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 published polling from uh, Lord Ashcroft last week where he was he was more unpopular with voters than, than Boris Johnson, which in Scotland is 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 quite some feat. So I can I can completely understand from a um, electoral point of view why Nicola Sturgeon doesn't want to al align herself with with Alipa at this point. And also, I mean, m most of the polls I've seen suggest that they'll they'll be lucky to. To, to get um, one MSP, um, and but I mean, nevertheless, it, that would be fascinating if that MSP was Alex Salmond, and it would be, it would be really interesting just to see, um, you know, uh, how collegiate a spirit he was willing to work in with uh, with Nicola Sturgeon. I mean, Andrew, I uh, you know, she has specifically said that um, the SNP MSPs would be instructed to not vote for a motion that Alex Salmond would put forward if he was an MSP asking for um, independence negotiations to start immediately with Westminster. Yeah, ab absolutely. So um, and I think that'd be the the first real test of of, uh, of her party. I mean, the interesting thing, because it kind of goes back to that question you asked a little bit earlier about you know, Nicholas Sturgeon's position as First Minister, as leader of the SNP. And actually, a lot of the people who would have like to have seen her replaced or who think she's been a little bit sort of slow on independence and other issues in the party well they've now all left and they're now all in alpha with alex salmond so in that space i think her position is secure and i can't imagine that there'll be many smp msps defying the whip to 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 back uh, any sort of alpha motion alex salmond's uh, motion to start negotiations on independence from pretty much day one um, I think Alpa might do better than the polls suggest, uh, um, as we were saying there. I think, you know, one thing that Alex Salmond has done uh, and Alpa have done way better than the SNP ever did was is to sort of bring on 
or, or you know work with the, the pro-independence media. I'm not sort of talking about the national there. I'm talking about you know these sort of blogs and these Facebook groups, these sort of these yes Facebook groups that have been heavily active since 2014. They're all very much pro-Alapa, um, and because you don't really need that many people to vote for a party in the list, I think it's what six percent is the, the magic number. I think we could quite easily get seven or eight uh, Alpa MSPs elected over the weekend. But maybe we should save that for the predictions at the end. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, that's really interesting about the list vote, isn't it, Jenny? Because I've never heard the list vote being discussed in such minutiae um, as we have this election. No, and it, it comes down to that that tactical voting that I think Alpa and All for Unity have both brought into this. And obviously there's been perhaps a little bit of that before there'd be people that perhaps you know on the independent side may have voted say um SNP in a constituency and, and green on the list not because they they supported supported the greens perhaps so much as you know in terms of getting more pro independence um MSPs and you know perhaps there might have been a little bit of that on the union side of, of picking the the unionist party that's most likely to win in the constituency and then who you want in the list. But yeah, the, the kind of real breakdown of um, what happens if you vote this in the list and what happens if you vote that in the list has, has really come to the fore in this election. And also I think we, you know, we've seen much more attention to smaller and newer parties, which is good for democracy, this idea that, that new parties can come through and smaller parties might get represented and, and you're not necessarily just um, always going to see the, the same faces, the same policies again and again, that you can have people coming in and shaking up. And it'll be interesting to see whether any of these smaller parties actually manage to, to break through that threshold and, and get some seats um, this weekend. That I think that, that, that could change the parliament a little bit. Just, just some people, you know, not, not necessarily having the power to actually do anything themselves, because obviously you, you're not going to be able to do that with one or two MSPs, but but simply injecting different ideas and you know and, and just you know perhaps challenging some of the comfortable status quo. Because I mean we've we've heard quite a lot of agreement between the parties as well as disagreement. There's lots of areas they they agree on, and it's actually good for people to come in and and question that. Um, I think one of the other interesting things that's worth mentioning about um the effect of Alpha though is what this idea of a supermajority might do. You know whether or not they win seats, it's unlikely that we're going to get this level of supermajority of independent pro-independence MSPs. But now that idea has been planted in there that that's something to aim for. Does that mean not getting that will be seen as a failure and will be kind of thrown back? You know, regardless of whether and it looks like it's pretty definite between the SNP and the Greens, there would be a, a majority of uh, nationalist MSPs altogether. But, you know, will that be thrown back that, well, it's just a majority, but it's not a supermajority. It's not it's not enough. And, you know, and that will be, you know, may that be used against them as, a, as another way of pushing back against the second independence referendum. It's interesting. I thought it was uh, typically Alex Salmond, I suppose, that talking about a supermajority as in a supermajority, and actually there seems to be a definition of what a supermajority would be. Um, I suppose it's a bit like the once-in-a-generation line, but, but you're right, it implants something, and people are now thinking about, well, 
what would a supermajority do and how could it act? I was also thinking about the list vote and, you know, people having to get into the technicalities of what a list vote might be. And I quite like Douglas Ross's um, peach line, you know, vote for us on the peach uh, vote. But then I saw hashtags of I, I am peach Tory, which basically spelled impeach Tory. Um, so it perhaps didn't work quite as well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think for for me, the the, the sort of fascinating uh, conundrum almost of of this election is the fact that when you ask people, um, you know, and Andrew alluded to it earlier, when you when you ask people the, the stuff that they really care about and and the issues that matter most to them, then the pandemic is kind of front and center for obvious reasons, and and people care about the pandemic response, they care about the economy, they care about the NHS. But then when they choose which party to vote for, uh, you, you know, independence or the constitution or stopping independence is front and centre. And that's, you know, that's really, really fascinating. I think what will probably develop um, over the course of the parliament is, is probably, and I think you saw a bit of that in the debate last night, is there is actually a lot of kind of consensus between the parties, um, you know, over, over how we do um, build back after the pandemic and how we sort of, reposition the NHS but you know the fault line is obviously uh, on the constitution. Yeah one thing we didn't discuss was last night the big question was whether they supported spending millions on a new yacht called Prince Philip. Yeah um, <laughs> that was I thought that was a really uh, it was an odd question I mean it was clearly put in there as a kind of curveball um, and uh, you know I, I saw uh, I saw people on Twitter sort of um, spin doctors on Twitter saying, oh, yeah, they, they probably wouldn't have been prepped for that question. But I think there was there was probably there was probably a better curveball that they could have answered. I mean, I think you'd be hard pushed to find anyone in Scotland, I would imagine, um, that thinks that spending 200 million quid on a royal yacht at the, at, at the moment is, is the right thing to do. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're all agreed that no matter what happens, the Constitution will continue to dominate. I mean, I suppose the... the the thing that I'm always left with is we know that Nicola Sturgeon is seen as a, a very good leader, probably the most popular leader in the United Kingdom. She's very serious for serious times and she's also pro-independence. So I'm kind of waiting for them to put Nicola Sturgeon front and centre of an independence argument where a picture is painted of what an independent Scotland would look like. And that seems to still be missing, Andrew. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So whenever the, the questions come up, you know, she's kind of tried to push it back and just say, well, these are the discussions, these are the arguments we'd have in the run-up to a referendum. Um, you remember perhaps that at the start of uh, last year, pre-pandemic, the SNP, the Scottish Government, were going to you know, publish a, a series of papers sort of trying to address some of these questions, questions on, you know, the border and the currency and all that sort of stuff. Obviously, the pandemic came along and the, the independence referendum campaign was, was put on halt, so those papers have not yet materialised. Um, uh, I'm not entirely sure when they will materialise or when work on that will resume again, I, presumably straight after the uh, the election. But, yeah, I think I think there's, there's that's one of the interesting things about this campaign is we have seen uh, uh, almost a a dusting down of arguments from pre-2014 um, and a sort of uh, a sharpening up of, uh, I think I've just mixed my metaphors there, haven't I? Um, uh, sort of, and, 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 you know, um, 
um, a practice run almost, isn't it? It's a practice run for the referendum, which uh, we're being told will definitely not happen or will definitely happen. Should we do some predictions? <laughs> um, has everybody voted or are, are you all going to the to the polling stations? In person. Yeah, in person. Yeah, planning yeah. to do in person. Yeah, in person. Uh, I yeah. got a postal vote. Oh, <laughs> the, Louise. The lone voice. <laughs> <laughs> I was too panicked back in like February about whether, you know, about going to it because we were still, you know, deep in wave three or whatever. So I panicked and made me and my partner get postal votes. <laughs> no, I've also got the responsibility of my son's proxy vote. So quite a powerful woman tomorrow, <laughs> today. Um, Jack. What are you thinking is going to be the result? Um, so I'm not going to surprise anyone with the prediction. I think uh, we're going to see um, another a narrow miss in the sense that it's going to be an, an SNP minority again, um, where possibly you know not a lot changes. Perhaps some of the things to that I would be interested to see develop. Um, as I mentioned earlier, was you know whether Labour can sort of propel themselves into second place. I'm also keen to see how the Greens do and whether they can boost their number of MSPs. Um, I think that would be interesting, and that would perhaps kind of then feed into this sort of so, um, this coalition debate. Um, you know, and there's been various reports on that whether uh, the Greens and SNP would welcome that. Um, the other thing I'm, you know, quite interested to see from this is whether any independent candidates get elected. Um, so, you know, obviously we've seen uh, the likes of Andy Whiteman and, and Peter Kraken um, kind of go out, out on their own, you know, without the sort of uh, party backing. Uh, and it would be interesting to see if any of them have managed to sort of, you know, ra raise enough of a profile in their respective constituencies to to run it close, as it were. Although I'm not so, not so sure as to whether they will. Mm, interesting. Uh, Jenny? I think the thing I'm most sure of is that the Greens are likely to make some gains. That would be my most comfortable prediction. I tend to agree with Jack that I think the SNP might just miss out on their full majority and they might be a minority again. I think, you know, Conservatives and Labour are likely to stay in the same order, second and third, perhaps, you know, about the same, maybe making one or two losses and, and Lib Dems probably about the same as well. That would be my prediction. Hmm. Louise? Um, not to echo what other people have said, but uh, yeah, I also think that the SNP will be a, a minority by maybe two or three seats. Um, I don't think the Greens will actually do as well as a lot of the polls are predicting. I don't think they'll lose MSPs, but I would be surprised if they gain a ton either. And that's just because historically with polls, Greens always seem to be overestimated. Um, and I'm just imagining the same again. Um, but like Jenny, I think Tories in second and, and Labour in, in third will probably happen again. Um, and I don't think Alba will get any MSPs either. Chris? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really interested by uh, by Andrew's prediction about how Alba will do. I was just wondering if that was uh, informed by his quick look at the Ladbrokes website there and whether he'd... Uh, <laughs> willing to put any money where his mouth is but um yeah i mean that's <laughs> that's uh you know obviously that that would change the makeup of the parliament and it, it would be fascinating as would the election of independence like peter kraken that um that jack referred to but you know i i'm the same as everyone else i think i think they, obviously the snp will win whether they get a majority or not um 
who knows, the polls are, are pointing in, in two different directions at the moment. But I mean, I think the one thing that, that's clear is that the independence campaign will begin in earnest on day one. And, you know, that will be what dominates uh, proceedings for the next five years, you know, much to the disappointment of, of, of people who want to talk about, uh, you know, the state of the Scottish education system and, and uh, the NHS. Mm. Andrew? So I think the SNP will get a majority, but only just a slight majority. Um, I think the Tories will do all right. I think they'll hold on to what they've got, maybe add one or two. I think Labour won't do that well. And I think the polls have shown us that while voters quite like Anna Sauer, nah, they're not so convinced on Labour. And it goes back to that thing of the party's position on the Constitution being the thing which matters most to voters. And while, you know, the Tory position on the Constitution and the SNP, Labour's has not been so clear. So I think they might do quite badly. Um, I absolutely agree with Louise. I feel like every election we've had since 2014, we've gone, oh, this is the one in which the Greens, there's going to be a green surge, there's going to be a green breakthrough, and and there never has been. So, um, you know, um, possibly, uh, I think they, they, they might add a couple more, but we're not going to be seeing double figures, I don't think, I don't think, of green MSPs. Uh, the Lib Dems um, don't seem to have moved very much in the polls, so we can probably suggest that they might just kind of get what they already had. And then, as I said before, because I've already said it, I'm going to stick to it. I think Alba will, um, I'm going to put a number on it. I'm going to say seven MSPs for Alba. Yeah, no, that's interesting because I, I agree with you on the Alpha, but probably not the number. And some of that's informed, I mm. guess, by the fact that I've just spent the last week on holiday in the northeast of Scotland. And I was astonished by what local people were talking to me up, up there about and just um, a switch to Alpha. So I think the SNP won't get a majority. I think they might not do as well as they did in 2016, might slip down to around 61. Um, I think it's interesting. We we suddenly remember that the Lib Dems are there. I don't think the Lib Dems will have um, moved their <laughs> position at all. Um, similarly, how, could you, how could you have missed all the photo calls? <laughs> I know. Why does that not translate into votes? I don't know. Who knows? Um, Who knows? I think on the Greens, <laughs> I kind of agree with everybody. Um, everyone always thinks they'll do better than um, than actually they do do. I could see them moving up a little bit, perhaps. Um, and I think I could see Alba maybe coming in at maybe five seats, something like that. Um, I probably agree with the rest of you as well that I think the Tories will probably pip Labour to second place. I, I don't think Hannes has been there long enough to make a big enough change. However, I think there are some really interesting candidates and future MSPs coming in. And I think the next five years will be really interesting. I would really like to see Andy Whiteman in. I would also like to see Peter Kraken in. Um, and I'd just like to see a bit of a mix-up again and a bit more debate going on, because I think we're going to go back into this parliament with some of the outstanding issues still to really be properly thrashed through. Um, and I guess I hope that, like Nicola Sturgeon talked about at the end of the session, some of the toxicity is taken out and we see some fresh air coming in. When are we going to come back and look at our predictions assess if we're right or not <laughs> was there well was there any money against it andrew <laughs> <laughs> we'll see yeah i'll yeah. buy the first round of cakes <laughs> when we get back to the yeah. office i think i i forgot to mention alpha but i think i would go for maybe one or two 
I I think they might they might get one, but I definitely I wouldn't go as high as six or seven. <laughs> right. Well, we'll see. Well, well, actually, who gets to buy the drink? Is it the one that was nearest or the one that was so far out? <laughs> I think whoever's wrong gets to buy the whole round. <laughs> okay. All right. Brilliant. Well, everybody has to get out and vote and um, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, I think the other thing which we haven't discussed is tradition uh, would have had us all staying up late at night waiting for the count. And um, of course, that's not going to happen this time round. Yeah, that's one of the good things that's come out of the pandemic. I love that, Chris. <laughs> I'm, I'm really sad about that. Yeah, it's going yeah. to be such a... Yeah, such a downer, really, to just go to bed without any election results. Well, you can, you can still stay up all night if you want. You can just uh, recreate the feeling of being completely uh, dead on your feet the next day. Yeah, but, I'll just yeah, look at the exit poll all night. Well, there'll be, so there'll be no exit polls. Oh, there'll um, be no exit polls? No, no exit polls. So we really are in the dark. And I, I guess I, I, the other thing I would probably say is that the polls have never actually been very right, have they? So we're all depending at the moment on the polls that we've seen, but we'll need to wait and see what the reality is, I guess. No, I mean, I think we've, we've seen um, internationally over the last sort of five to ten years that um, just because the polls say something doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. I mean, they, <laughs> they didn't predict Donald Trump. They didn't predict Brexit. So, um, you know, people might not always be uh, all that truthful in what they tell some of these pollsters. Yeah, we could see Douglas Ross as first minister, you know, on Friday. Oh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> All right, guys, get out and vote. As someone much greater than I said, a week is a very long time in politics. And believe me, I know Scottish politics is never boring. So don't leave it long. Make sure you come back and join us on Politically Speaking. And remember that you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And do tell your friends, because everybody has an interest in politics.